All right. Please uh, pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we could gather together, God, that we could open up your word and we could just dig into what it means for our lives, um, the good things it pours in, God, and how we can then live that out. Lord, I pray that my words would be your words, not one word more or one word less. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, as Aaron said, my name is Matt, uh, and it's an honor to be with you all. I've been enjoying the last six months because when you work in a church, you're always at that one church. So you don't get a chance to just like visit around. And so I've really enjoyed getting to come to Grace and worship with you all. This is my fourth time here. So if it's your first time, don't worry. They're not going to make you get up here and preach after you've been here for a while. Um, You'll usually see me somewhere in the back because I used to get jealous of the people that would like sneak in toward the end of service and then like just pop in the back row. So I was like, I'm going to try that now that I can do it. But it's a, it's a real joy to get to be back in town and get to be in an area where I can do ministry with you all. As Aaron said, my core job is now a thing we launched out called the Kairos Network. And uh, what we do at the Kairos Network is we train church planters, which is church code for teach people how to start churches. And we teach everyday Christians how they can go out into the places they live, work, learn, and play and share their faith with the world around them. And that's what I get to spend my full time doing, and it's really a joy. But when I'm not doing that, as Aaron said, I have three boys. Uh, Brooks, who is nine, Samuel, who's seven, and Reese, who just turned six. And when you have three boys in the middle of winter, all sitting in a house, it gets a little crazy. And so we're always looking for something for them to do to just kind of like get a little bit of the energy out, right? So what we found this winter is something that is completely new to me. We got them into wrestling. And you may say, why wrestling? Because they're already doing it at the house. And for just a little bit of money, I can get a ref and a mat. (laughs) Now, I've loved the sport. I did not grow up wrestling. I grew up swimming, so all my time was spent in over-chlorinated pools. So this is a totally new world to me. And so oftentimes, I don't really understand what I'm seeing or how it works. But some things that have amazed me about wrestling are that it's this weird sport where in one moment you're on offense, and a few moments later, you're on defense. And you just flip back and forth like that. And whether you're on offense or defense determines how you score points. How do you score points? I'm still figuring that out. It has something to do with who has the advantage. And so at the end of the match, they will figure out who had the advantage more. And that person will win unless, and this is the cool part, you get a pin. And if you get a pin, it doesn't matter how many points the other person scored, you win. It's a pretty amazing thing. So Liza and I are are sitting here, that's my wife, and we're sitting on the side of the mat and we're watching my oldest, Brooks, wrestle. And I am getting into this, we're at Ridgewood High School, so it's like home team, right? And I've loved watching my kids wrestle because they get really intense and they just go after it, right? So I'm watching Brooks go after it, not really sure exactly what he's doing or how he's scoring points, but he's doing a lot of stuff. So I feel like the match is going well. But I'm looking at the scoreboard and the home team, and they're not putting any points on the board. And I'm like, look, I don't know a lot about wrestling people, but I feel like he should be scoring some points right now. Because I'm watching the other kid. No offense, that kid's not doing anything. 
And yet he's scoring all the points. And I'm starting to wonder, maybe wrestling is one of those less is more kind of sports. And the points keep racking up. And I'm like, what is going on? So literally, we're over here, my wife and I, we're like asking the coach while he's trying to coach, hey, um, why is he not scoring any points right now? Come to find out, I'm looking at the wrong part of the scoreboard. See, I assumed because we were at Ridgewood, we were the home team. But you see, what they do with wrestling is in wrestling, they give you a little anklet, and that determines whether you're home or away. So the entire time I'm watching him wrestle, I'm watching the wrong part of the scoreboard. I should have been watching the away team. I had the wrong perspective. And I bring that up because as we step into today's text, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, we're going to talk about a thing called good warfare. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we struggle with this because we have the wrong perspective. We think of good warfare as a bunch of apologetics, trying to learn the different things we need to know to defend the faith so that if somebody comes at you with an argument, you've got exactly the thing you need to say at exactly the right time. And when we think about good warfare, we think about the world around us as the enemy, right? And we have to fight against the enemy. So how do we do that? But if that's our stance as we read this text... We have the wrong perspective. And if we have the wrong perspectives, we will come up with the wrong conclusions. So what I want to do this morning is really simple. I want to give us a different perspective when it comes to good warfare. Scripture's perspective of what it looks like to be a gospel-centered, Christ-centered person who's trying to live out good warfare in this world. And I want to talk to you about two different aspects of warfare, because warfare has two aspects, defensive and offensive. And then finally, I want to wrap it all up by just talking about where we stand. Because I think sometimes when we're looking at the scoreboard and we're looking at the wrong spot, we don't really understand where we stand. And I think when you understand where you stand, it changes everything. And so... Let's dig into it. Let's just start here with 1 Timothy. And I want to read this part of the verse for you. I got 1 Timothy 18 through 20. And it says this. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith among who are Hermanes and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now there's a lot going on there, including two guys. The first name I probably butchered, but if you want a little Bible reading tip, say it with confidence, right? But here's what sticks out. It's that good warfare piece. And actually, if you jump back into the Greek, it's really interesting. Warfare is stratia right, where we get our word strategy. And that word means this, a military campaign designed to achieve a specific objective in a foreign country, in a foreign country. And that really popped out to me 
Because I think one of the reasons we miss our perspective on this whole conversation is because we think that we're the home team. Like, I mean, and it makes sense, right? Because who created the world? God created the world. Genesis 1. I'll let Aaron wrap that up next time. <laughs> well, like, it's his world, right? So we should be the home team. But, you know, Jesus has a radically different perspective with that. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 18, says it like this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, what Jesus is saying is, because of sin, this world is broken. So it's not his world in the sense of the way it was always meant to be. And, and oftentimes, Scripture talks about being of the world. They're talking about being of that sinful nature that all of us wrestle with. Jesus says, I'm not that. I'm of God. And now, because you're connected to Jesus, you're of God too. And if the world has hated God, it will at times hate you. And I think that's a very healthy perspective to have because it just allows you to know that sometimes faith will be a challenge. It will be a challenge as you're trying to live it out. It will be a challenge as you're trying to share it with others, even though you know the thing you have to share is so good and would be so good for the people around you. And the other thing Jesus says is this, as he's praying for us in John chapter 17, Jesus addresses this question of, well, if we're not of the world and we're connected to something else, why are we here? And Jesus prays it like this. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, you're behind enemy lines for a purpose. And the purpose is not to rail against the world around you. But the purpose is to do what Jesus did. To come into the world and to love the world around you. So that they can be connected to Jesus. Now here's the challenge with that we still wrestle with that one foot that's still in the world, right? So our battle actually doesn't begin with the world around us. It begins with the fight that we fight within us. It begins with a defensive battle. The Apostle Paul, and I forgot to put this one up for you, he wrote famously, he said, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I, I, don't, I want to do, I don't do. What's Paul saying? Well, Paul's saying this. Paul is saying that there is this aspect of Paul that is still trapped in the sinful nature he has. And yet that there's other aspect of Paul that is fully and completely wrapped up in the grace and the new life that Jesus has given. And for Paul, it's a wrestling match. A wrestling match within himself of those moments that he knows what he should be doing and yet this other part of his nature is pulling him in another direction and other moments where he knows the things he shouldn't be doing and yet he finds himself doing it. 
Paul realizes that faith within yourself is a wrestling match because you have two natures that are quite literally at war within you. The sinful nature that's always trying to pull you away from God and the Christ-centered nature, the new life that is always drawing you in to the Father. And so, quite literally, pun intended, you are in a wrestling match with yourself. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare and we talk about good warfare, it begins with the defensive war, the war that we fight within ourselves, so that we can learn to live more and more like Christ for the world around us. So how do we begin to have that fight? Well, it begins like this. I want to give you a few tools that you can use as you're fighting that fight to look more and more like Christ. And the first tool is this. It's just prayer. I think sometimes we underestimate prayer because we're Americans and Americans love strategies, right? That's why I'm sharing four different tools you can use. You're like, thank you. The strategies are here. And then we hear prayer and we're like, well, I thought you said we were going to do something. Prayer doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. But really, what does prayer do? Prayer centers us in God. In fact, I love the way Paul talks about it in Philippians. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. An important part of defense is what? Guarding yourself. And what does Paul say will guard yourself? Prayer. When you are actively in prayer, you are connecting yourself to the Father, and the Father has this way of changing everything, even if nothing around you has changed. And it begins in prayer. And so when I talk about prayer, I know that there's all different ways that you can pray, but a few strategies of prayer that I've used that have helped me in those moments where I need to be defensive or I need to recenter my heart on the Father. Number one, prayer journaling. And all that is, you can simply open up a journal and you can write down like you're writing a letter to God. Or for me, I like to type. So I open up Evernote and it's like I'm writing an email to God. And it's just this chance for me, sometimes especially when things just seem like they're spinning out of control in your mind and you're, you're struggling to kind of make everything fit. Sometimes prayer journaling is the most helpful thing because it moves it out of your mind very actively through your hands and onto the page. And it's like all of a sudden you can see it move out and you can just give it to God. And I'm not saying you have to hold on to your prayer journals. If you want to, rip the page out and burn it. The work has already been done. You've already given it to God. So prayer journaling is a really great way. Another great way you can pray, especially if you're not sure what you want to pray, is to just simply pray scripture. And to pray scripture is, is nothing complicated. You just take a verse, like you could open up the book of Psalms, and you just start at the beginning of that verse. So like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And you start praying on that line. God, you're the one that's guiding me. You're the ones that's making sure I don't steer off on the wrong path. And I really need your guidance right now in this situation. Would you guide me? And then as your mind starts to move off that, you move into the next line. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you start praying on that line. What I found praying scripture does is it really helps me center in the fact that prayer is a conversation I'm having with God. And it's a conversation where I can actually let God talk first. And I can listen. And then I can return back to God from the things he said. And then finally, sometimes the easiest thing to do, especially if you don't have a lot of time to pray, 
but you need to center yourself. Like say you're going into one of those really challenging meetings at work, right? That doesn't happen to you all, just me, right? You can, you can use what's called a breathing prayer. And a breathing prayer is really simple. You just say a line on the way in and a line on the way out. So you could say, Lord, grant me peace. Grant me peace. And with every breath, you're saying that line. And what that starts to do is it starts to get you thinking more about your breathing and to be aware of the presence of God in that moment. And it can just give you what you need to calm your heart and your soul. It's a powerful thing. Those are three simple tools you can use for prayer. The next thing I would tell you is this, confession absolution. In fact, we just did it right before we walked up here. We said a prayer where we had an opportunity just to lay out to God the things that were on our hearts and our minds. And as we laid that out to God, we got the opportunity to hear from Pastor Aaron that, hey, we are forgiven. Like, we don't have to hold on to those things. And I think a lot of times one of the struggles we have is we're holding on to things we don't need to be holding on to. In fact, when you read John in 1 John, it says this. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So literally what God says is he's like, that stuff you're holding on to, you don't need to be holding on to that. Let me take that, please. And all of a sudden it becomes so much easier to fight that fight. Because you're not holding on to things you don't need to be holding on to. The next thing that's a really helpful defensive tool is just scripture. And ironically, I didn't have a verse for this one because we're spending a lot of time in scripture right now. But why is scripture so powerful? Scripture has this way of speaking truth into your life in a world that oftentimes speak lies into your life. And in a world of Instagram feeds and news reels and expectations that we put on ourselves and we feel like others put on us, we need a healthy dose of truth spoken into our lives. And I think sometimes, and this is the really important thing, sometimes we think about the Bible as a bunch of really good thoughts about God. That if we just read them, we will better understand who he is and we can find our way to God. I want to challenge that assumption. Because when scripture talks about itself, it talks about itself as the very words of God. So this is literally God speaking to you. So it would be the same way if I need to recenter a relationship, I would sit down with that person and I would have a conversation. When I open up the words of scripture, God is literally speaking into my life. And he's giving me the things I need to fight the fight I have to fight within myself. And then finally on that point is simply this. You need community. Community is so vitally important. You know, I think about this verse from Hebrews, and it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. See, there's this reality in life, but especially in our life of faith, that community is such a powerfully important thing. You need other people around you. Think about it. That's why Jesus sent people out two by two. He knew that you needed community. And I think a lot of times, one of the things we do with this verse, and this is important, is we kind of limit that verse to these four walls. And we say, see, you need community. I need to see you Sunday morning at 9 or 11. Your choice. But that would be missing the full scope of community. 
This is very important, to worship together, to open up God's word together. But community is also finding a Christian brother or sister and making time to connect with them over coffee, to disciple each other, to encourage one another. It could be as simple as gathering together with another group of Christians and just spending time together outside of church. In fact, one time, one of the most spiritual experiences recently was my wife and I went out with another pastor and his wife because we do hang out together outside of these places. And we just had dinner together. And it was so fun and it was so spiritual because we were able to encourage one another on another level. See, community is vitally important. And so everything I'm asking you to do, we need to kind of break out of that American self-centered kind of model of like, I can do this on my own. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Here's the reality. You can't. Community will help though, right? I mean, think about it. Anything you do in community goes better. Like Aaron said, we do CrossFit together. And the only reason I work out regularly is because I know there's a bunch of other people at 5 a.m. that are going to be going, hey, where were you the last several weeks? <laughs> it helps to have that community. And so community becomes important. And those are the tools you can use on the defensive side. So what can you do on the offensive side of faith? And I know some of you are really excited because you're like, finally, he's going to tell us how to kick some butt. And here's where I want to slow us down just a little bit. When you're thinking offensive, don't think about how you're going to defeat the person in front of you, right? How you're going to prove to them how the way they think is wrong and the way you think is right. But rather, think about offensive the way Jesus thinks about offensive. How are you going to love the world around you? Because when Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians, he says something really important that I think we need to hold on to. He says that this fight we fight, in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying your fight is not with your neighbor, okay? Your jerk of a boss is not your enemy. They're your mission field. They're the person that Jesus wants you to go out and love so that they can experience the love of Christ. See, when we talk about being offensive as Christians, what that means is how can I be such a powerful reflection of Jesus that when I go out into the world, people can't help but to see him? That's what it means to be offensive. Because their enemy is the same as your enemy. The only difference is for you, the battle's already won. And for them, it might just be the beginning. They need to see Jesus clearly. So how do we do that? Well, I got four simple tools, right? Because everybody loves a strategy. And the first is this. Prayer. <laughs> but wait, pastor, I thought prayer wasn't. No, prayer is doing stuff, right? We covered that in defensive. But you can use prayer as you're stepping out into your world. You might just use some different styles of prayer. See, prayer is much more robust than we give it credit for. And so as you go out, begin your day in prayer, realizing that the places you go, whether they are planned or unplanned, those are the places that God is taking you. As the Gospel of Matthew says, when Jesus is going up, Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples. That word go is not go like leave this place. It's go as in the sense of as you are going. 
As you are going into those places you're going, you have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus. And so as you go, be in prayer for where God's sending you. Because you never know if the meeting you're stepping into is about covering the KPIs or it's about sharing Jesus. Or maybe both. So be in prayer for the world around you. There's a couple ways you can do that. If many of you like to walk around your neighborhood, you could do what's called prayer walking. And as you're walking, you could just be in prayer for the neighbors and the things you see around you. See, walking your dog now just became a much more powerful thing, right? You can walk and pray. The other thing you can do is a thing that's called oikos prayer. And what oikos prayer is, is literally you, you draw down on a piece of paper just a diagram of the relationships you have in your life. So start by putting your name at the center, and then you kind of make like what looks like a mind map, right? And you can write the different communities you're connected to, and then just think through in those spaces that you already live in, who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? And if it's even easier for you, because you're like, I don't know if they know Jesus or not, just put their name down in case, Right? And then it's like, oh, I do know Jesus. You're like, wow, that is a surprise, but I've been praying for you either way. (laughs) And pray for those around you because you never know how just being in prayer for the people around you can radically change the opportunities you have to share Jesus. Like I compare it to this. It's like buying a car, right? When you're looking at buying a car, you do all the research and you buy a car, right? And then all of a sudden, as you're looking out on the road, you're like, everybody drives my car. What's the reality? The cars were already out there. Your eyes were just attuned to see those things. And so now it feels like everybody drives your car. If you are praying for the people around you, you will find your eyes are attuned to see things you didn't see before. Opportunities you didn't connect with before. Because Jesus is at work in all these things. So begin with prayer. The other thing I would encourage you is Make sure you're loving your community. Because your community is not your enemy. Your community is your mission field. The place God has you. And and here's the crazy thing. If God wanted somebody else there in that moment, he would have put somebody there. But he's got you there. You're the one that he wants to share the gospel. You're the one that he wants to be the reflection of Jesus. And so make sure you're loving your community well. Because like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all the mysteries of knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. The reality is our communities need to know that we love them before they care to know what we know. And the more you love somebody, the more they will see the love of Jesus in their life. So begin with love. And so how do we love our communities well? It starts by engaging with our communities, but to engage with our communities, we have to do this. We have to listen to our communities. And oftentimes we're so focused as people on what we're going to say that we forget to listen. In fact, I built this training out with my friend Trey, and in this section, listening to our community, he says this, you need to do three things. Are you ready? Listen, listen, and listen. (laughs) First, you need to listen more than you talk. Because the more you listen to somebody, the more they see how much you care about them. Then you need to listen to learn. Not to simply engage or think about how you're going to give a response, but listen to learn who that person is. Because the more you learn who someone is, the more empathy you build with them. 
And then finally, you need to listen to show that you care. Because the more you listen, the more they'll realize you care. So listen to your community. And then the fourth and final thing is to just be a good reflection. Be a good reflection of who Jesus is. Let me give you a caveat. Not perfect. Because nobody's perfect, right? But just seek to be a good reflection of who Jesus is. Try to love the people around you well. Realize that whatever space you go into, you carry Jesus with you. And the first Bible that somebody's going to read is the Bible that you give them through your life. Those are the scriptures they'll read. The love of Jesus in you. In fact, Jesus pointed it out like this. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Be a reflection. And other people will see Jesus. Now, here's the last point, because I've literally just shared eight things you can do. I want you to remember where you stand on the scoreboard. Because here's the danger in sharing eight things you can do. If I share those eight things, somebody walked into this room and they said, I am killing it. Like, I've knocked out everything he said and then some. Like, I could stand up and give a few more that everybody could do. And then somebody's walking into this room going, I am a terrible Christian. I don't even know if I should be here right now. See, that's the problem when we focus on what we do for God. Because when we focus on what we do for God, sometimes we feel like we measure up, and other times reality sets in and we realize we don't. But we need to change our focus. Don't start by focusing on what you can do for God. Focus on what God has already done for you. I remember, like I said, we're super new to wrestling, right? And so I've got two of my boys in the car who are going to do their first wrestling match. The first time they're going to wrestle against another kid from another town. And it's big for them, right? They're getting excited. They got the whole singlet thing. It's awesome. And they're sitting in the back of the car. And before we go anywhere, I realize these kids need to know something very important. They need to know that it doesn't matter how this goes. Their dad still loves them. So I looked at them and I said, listen, guys. Whatever happens today, I will not love you any more or any less than I already do. I will not be any more or any less proud of you than I already am because you are my child. And whatever happens today does not change that. Some of you, as you step into this, you need to realize that you're sitting in the back of the car And Jesus is looking at you, going, you are my child. No matter what happens today, I will not love you any more or any less. Because the reality is, I've already died for you. In fact, I love what Jesus says in John 16, 32. I've said these things to you that you may know you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has already won. And because Jesus has already won, you have already won. You are his child. 
So don't leave this place going, how can I be better? Leave this place knowing how much you are loved and the great gifts God gives you to fight the fight that is in front of you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that we could be in this place, God. And I just pray that you would help us just recenter ourselves in who you are, God. I pray that you would allow us to take some of these things from your word, Lord, and to go out and to live them out well, knowing that we are already loved by you, we are already forgiven by you. And we have a chance to share you with the world around us. Guide us in that, Lord Jesus. It's in your name. By your strength we pray. Amen.